You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your hosts, Chris Jennings and Dr. Mike Brazier. On this this episode, we're going we're to try something uh, a little different. We haven't done much of this so far. We're going to reach out to some of our field staff, conservation field staff, and have them describe a little bit about what they do for Ducks Unlimited and some of the recent work ongoing in that region. Today, we have joining us uh, Jamie Rader, Director of Conservation Programs for the South Atlantic uh, so, Jamie, thanks for joining the show. Uh, no problem, Mike. Thanks for having me. And I think what we'll do to start off is give you an opportunity to share a little bit about any kind of personal background, professional background that you want to that you want to share, and and then also talk a little bit about uh, where you are with Ducks Unlimited and and what you do, generally speaking. Uh, sure. Thanks, Mike. Uh, so I've been with Ducks Unlimited eight years now. I came to Ducks Unlimited after working for the state of South Carolina as both the state waterfowl biologist and an area manager of about 30,000 acres here in the Santee River Basin in, in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, prior to coming to work for DU, I worked both for private, for-profit, as well as I was a excuse me, a damage biologist at O'Hare International and um, kind of cut my teeth with Ducks Unlimited right after out of college. I've got a degree in both business and wildlife and a master's in wetland ecology. I've worked for DU as an intern in the Mississippi Alluvial Valley doing WRP work. Also worked for DU in the prairies as a nest ecology um, project leader, and then went on to grad school doing my graduate work in Hawaii on endemic water birds. I did not realize that. I didn't. I didn't know you did your graduate work at 
in Hawaii. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so I was I was a graduate student under Lee Fredrickson at the University of Missouri, um, and he had a group of us doing moist soil manipulations to improve nesting ecology for Hawaiian stilts and coots, both on Kauai and on Maui. Well, that's pretty cool. Very cool. Uh, yeah. Jamie, you are in the South Atlantic field office. Uh, I've never visited that field office, so tell us a l- Tell us where that is and how many how many staff do you have there? Sure, yeah. So the South Atlantic Field Office is one of three of the remote field offices within the southern region, the other two being in Texas and Louisiana. And, of course, it's all going back to the regional office in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, our office here covers five states from Virginia to Florida, the Carolinas, as well as Georgia. And we have about 11 staff here in Charleston. Our our staff has a diversity of both our management team as well as our um, project coordinators. We also have a lands team here that oversees our easement portfolio and uh, our biologists as well as our engineers. This is probably a good point to – a good time to, to clarify for a lot of the listeners. I know I find myself – I'm sure all of us as DU employees have found ourselves when we have conversations with other folks and we start talking about Ducks Unlimited. A lot of people just associate it with the banquet system and fundraising system or the magazine or the T-shirts. And so the conservation side, the conservation staff of DU, I found is, is a part of the organization that uh, – that a lot of a lot of people don't know very much about. I think they know generally that we're that we're out there, but your field office, the field office in Lafayette, Louisiana, and Texas, and then other parts of the country, uh, I think a lot of people don't realize the, the the biologists that we have in those in those offices, the engineers that we have in those offices, uh, and that group, that conservation group, works hand in hand with the grassroots banquet system. Uh, with the the other uh, development fundraising system, sort of as a within the larger organization, uh, to to raise the money, and then the conservation groups and the engineers put that money on the ground in the form of, of habitat projects. So that's something that I always find myself trying to help clarify when talking with with people, uh, just the, the general public. And so this gives us another opportunity to do that. So I would imagine there are some listeners that might be surprised to learn of the number of engineers that we actually employ. Now, we don't do the work. You guys don't do the, the dirt work necessarily. You do the, the design of the projects, right? Uh, that's correct, Mike. Yeah, our, we've got a very diverse group of team members, uh, our biologists really on the ground trying to build those relationships and bring the money in the in the door, working with the development folks as well as the event-based fundraising folks to really drive the machine, but um, to get those dollars in the door and let our professional staff of engineers develop those projects and then oversee those projects by working with a a selective group of very specialized construction groups that are out there that that put the work on the ground that our engineers develop. And then, of course, all of this depends on the effective partnerships of the state and federal agencies in your particular region, as well as private landowners uh, that that are the responsible stewards for a lot of the a lot of the habitat work that you do, right? You're absolutely right. And um, here in the Carolinas, we've been very fortunate over the years, which has been the heart of our program um, for the probably the life of the project that's been here. We've really seen our programs grow on, as we call the bookends. Uh, our Florida program is growing, and our Virginia program since they came to us from the Great Great Lakes region a few years ago, but um, 
day in and day out, those private landowners that we have a lot of conservation easements on in in the low country, as well as our federal and state partners are always at the table with us looking at what that next opportunity is to provide some really important habitat, not only for waterfowl, but diversity of other species that are well dependent here on the coast. One quick question, just to clarify, you kind of mentioned a couple of states, but exactly what states does the South Atlantic field office cover? Yeah. So, um, sorry, I breezed over that pretty quick there, Chris, but yes, so we have Virginia, North and South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. Cool. That's great. No, that's, I think that's something that um, a lot of people don't really realize that, you know, we have these little field offices and it's always good to clarify exactly what states you guys are covering because, um, you know, people can get confused over the Southern regional office, you know, branches out even, you know, all the way from Jackson, all the way over to the coast as well. And that's, and that's something for people to know. Uh, What are the specific kind of waterfowl habitats that, that, uh, this region has that that are beneficial to waterfowl populations? Yeah, we really see a wide diversity, not only on the the ends of our of our region, but also to the interior of our region. So we're, it's really unique that if you start in Virginia, looking at the importance of areas like the Chesapeake Bay and Back Bay, some really important SAVs, um, submerged aquatic vegetation areas that we see a lot of big divers in. A lot of really important riparian and bay areas as you come down into North and South Carolina, the importance of a lot of the big river systems there, as well as some of the big sounds that we see. A lot of important staging areas. Um, You think about the iconic areas like Lake Mad Mesquite. You think about areas like the Ace Basin, the Ace Basin National Wildlife Refuge here in South Carolina. Um, What's really interesting in the expands from North Carolina down to about Jacksonville, Florida, as we have a lot of remnant rice fields that uh, impounded areas that were um, left over from rice culture that we've seen a lot of private landowners take those into private ownership, do some form of uh, perpetual protection, and now have enhanced those not only for waterfowl, but for a diversity of species. Yeah, what are the specific species that you guys see through? And even you can just be specific with, uh, you know, South Carolina. I mean, you kind of have to understand this audience with the podcast. Well, it's technically international, but, you know, you may have someone in California listening who's never hunted, uh, you know, along the East Coast. Uh, Someone from Washington who couldn't even imagine hunting in South Carolina. But uh, what are some of the species that you're predominantly seeing? Yeah, the predominance of a lot of species we see are your typical uh, divers and dabblers, the teal species, especially blue wings and green wings, we see pretty regularly. You'll see an occasional cinnamon that'll show up, which is always fun to get out and, and get a chance to see. But um, more and more year after year, we're seeing more and more gray ducks, gadwall in this part of the world. Um, mallards, which were prevalent for years, have kind of fallen off, as we've seen from some of the information coming out of the joint ventures in U.S. Fish and Wildlife for the, the Atlantic um, population of the eastern mallard. So really, it runs a gamut. We also, as you get into the diving ducks, we see a lot of redheads. We see a lot of of canvasbacks. We see a lot of scalp in this area, ringnecks, especially down in Georgia and Florida. So, and offshore, we also see some large rafts of scalp. We're seeing uh, scoters. We've had different hunters that have taken some opportunity to take some long-tailed ducks as well. So it's it's really a mixed bag of what we see here on the coast, depending on what the weather's doing and how the conditions are playing uh, both inshore and offshore. 
You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation, take it outside. Jamie, what, you might have mentioned this already, and I, perhaps I just I didn't hear. Did you say model ducks? You know, coming from Louisiana, I can't I can't overlook that species. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's one that you overlook sometimes. But yes, we do have a really robust population of model ducks. Um, they weren't historically here. There had been some some trading between states as far as establishing a population back in the eighties, but. Based on some of the band returns and the local information, we've seen that population grow substantially. Uh, the last few years, I have not seen an active estimate, but um, the last time I did see that a few years ago, that population was well over 25,000 birds, and we're seeing that population kind of mix between Georgia, South Carolina, and a little bit into North Carolina as well. Yeah, that's uh, the model duck is a is a topic. For another podcast, we can get into, uh, we can have a long discussion, interesting discussion on that. I look forward to that. So uh, that's a really interesting uh, bird and what has happened with it and what is happening with it in various locations. So I just want to make sure we uh, gave it some air time. I also want to go back to the rice uh, that you mentioned earlier. A lot of people uh, probably don't realize that rice was first produced in the u.s in south carolina that was sort of the birthplace of rice production in the states but but there's not any more commercial production of rice out there is there there is very little commercial production mike there's a couple plantations that produce some of the carolina gold uh, for small market consumption but there is not a lot of mass production like there was historically Uh, now that carolina gold is that available for purchase in retail stores not trying to necessarily plug that brand but uh it's <laughs> uh, uh, i've never i've obviously never seen that in any of the grocery stores where i shop i would imagine it's more of a regional product 
It is more of a regional product and uh, as well with some of the um, different opportunities to buy that product um, through different venues. Um, yes, it is out there that people can get a hold of it. And uh, there are a few plantations that still produce that, that kind of heirloom grain. Now, that's very cool. I have to try to get my hands on that at some point. Uh, let's see, Jamie also wanted to use this opportunity to let you tell us about and tell our listeners about uh, maybe some habitat projects. We talked about your field office, the work that your biologists and that your engineers do is, is really to take the, the resources that are raised by, by, by your staff in some degree and then our development and event-based fundraising uh, staff as well. Take those resources and translate that into habitat conservation that benefits the birds but also of course benefits the the hunters and others that appreciate waterfowl so this is an opportunity for for you to highlight a couple of projects that uh, y'all might be working on or you might have uh, on the radar going forward so uh, anything like that 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 you want to mention highlight a little bit yeah, Mike, we can just uh, maybe hitting a highlight in a couple states. Uh, our engineering team has been really active this fall. We've been very fortunate that just with our near miss with a hurricane this year, we've been able to get a lot done. Um, currently wrapping up some really important waterfowl habitat in, in Virginia at the Back Bay National Wildlife Refuge. Been really doing an impoundment overhaul there with the refuge staff to really improve in the structure. Uh, in North Carolina, we're working with uh, North Carolina Wildlife Resources to improve the Hoboken unit of the Goose Creek Game Lands. That's another one of those high important impoundment areas that the waterfowlers in North Carolina really find important. Uh, in South Carolina right now, we are just wrapped up a big project a little off the coast, but an important waterfowl area at the Santee National Wildlife Refuge redoing all their infrastructure associated with the Dingle Pond unit as well as the Bluff unit, which are two really important areas on a highly hunted um, lacustrian area within the state. So a lot of those birds are looking for refuge to get off the lakes there and uh, find a quiet place when they're not being actively pursued by some of our waterfowlers here in South Carolina. In Georgia, we just wrapped up another big project on the Reds Island unit of the Altamaha WMA, which is probably the gem of waterfowl areas in Georgia. And then down in Florida, we're wrapping up a couple projects with some state park areas that really benefit some loafing areas for some waterfowl as well as some neotropical migrants. But really excited about how our Florida program's growing and some of the more recent announcements we've had in making good headway with our partnerships with FFWC there in Florida. Yeah, and I noticed, I uh, just saw something uh, from, I think it was actually from Ducks Unlimited. I uh, saw it on Twitter, but, you know, can you kind of explain that there was just a NIFWF grant down somewhere near, right outside of Apalachicola, I believe, and, and can you explain how what that project is and how, um, how DU's involved and who are the partners that are involved with it? Sure, absolutely. Um, we've had a long time conversation with Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission in that region there is a piece of property called MK Ranch. Uh, that was a piece of property that was highly modified uh, pre-Clean Water Act or excuse me just after the Clean Water Acts and ended up being a, um, a violation back in the 70s and 80s. So this is an opportunity for us to pair with them 
through NIFWIF and through the Gulf Coast Environmental Benefit Fund to go in and do some riparian repairs within that area. So really what the project is looking to do is take down some some old dikes and levees that were built for potential aquaculture back in the 70s and 80s and really uh, improve sheet flow through that area to improve where that water gets out of the Apalachicola River and eventually into the bay there. So long-term benefits to waterfowl is really improving not only that riparian habitat along that river, but also eventually the water quality going into the bay um, where I'm sure Mike could tell us a lot of the redheads go into that big bend area looking for those seagrass beds. Yeah, and just to clarify real quick, I mean, we kind of throw these out there, um, these acronyms like NIFWIF, mm-hmm. and we mention it, we know. Um, listeners out there, it, it's the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation, just to clarify. Um, that's the organization that, that provides these grants. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, we uh, we as biologists all end up speaking in acronym soup, and uh, it's good to have people like yourself, Chris, that kind of keep us straight and make sure we're not confusing people more than we need to. Hey, Jamie, one more question, kind of on a more of a specific thing. You'd mentioned um, Ace Basin Project, and you're coming up on an anniversary. You guys are getting ready to celebrate that. Can you kind of explain um, what the Ace Basin Project is, and kind of give an overview even for the Ace Ace Basin for as familiar as we are uh, with the Ace Basin. Some people may not be as familiar with it. And there's another one of those acronyms. There you go. I know. It, it is another one of those acronyms. So, yes, the Ace Basin is celebrating their 30th anniversary this year with um, a milestone of 300,000 acres protected in this uh, riparian corridor of the Ashpu, the Cumbahee, and the Edisto Rivers that fall between Charleston and Savannah uh, here in South Carolina. So it's been, a, been an effort of several um, non-governmental agencies, TNC, Low Country Land Trust, Ducks Unlimited are three of the founders, as well as some of the private landowners, as well as the state agencies and the Fish and Wildlife Service to really look at an area to conserve it. Um, The Ace Basin is really considered one of the last best places. It was highlighted in National Geographic magazine a few years ago. So it's really a great way to demonstrate how the private landowners, the public landowners, the non-governmental and the governmental organizations have come together to really preserve a important piece of uh, South Carolina that's not only important for waterfowl, but also important for people. I mean, the Edisto River is one of the primary areas where the people living in Charleston receive their drinking water. It's also a a very important area for land protection, but also species reintroduction. We saw um, red cockaded woodpeckers brought in there a few years ago. So really, it's a, a way to engage a lot of folks in a really grassroots conservation movement. That's great. Jamie, I think that's going to do it for us here. We, we appreciate your time in, in uh, sharing with us some insights from the South Atlantic. Uh, hopefully the people, our, our listeners, have some, uh, have some more information on the type of work that you do, uh, certainly some examples of some recent projects that you all have completed, and hopefully some of our listeners will be able to get out there and, and enjoy some of those, uh, those sites. And, and definitely I know, the, I know the birds will be enjoying those as well. So uh, on behalf of my co-host Chris Jennings here, I certainly thank you for, for taking the time and joining us today. So appreciate your time. Jamie. No problem, Mike, and we'll have to rectify you not spending time in the low country and get you over here soon. I'd love to do that. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, guys. 
Special thanks to our guest on today's show, Jamie Rader, Director of Conservation Programs for the South Atlantic Field Office over in Charleston, South Carolina. We also thank our producer, Clay Baird, who is going to work this up and get it out to you, our listeners. And the most important part of this enterprise, you are our our listeners. We thank you for your time. Uh, We thank you for your commitment and your passion around wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.